0: Imagine That Studios, in association with Ace Books, presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 4 The official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences
1: Well here we are, the final episode of the season and the final day of the year
0: And we're finishing both off with The Case of the Copper Heart (sighs) A lovely way to
1: end a lovely season. But we'll be back next year with the final season of these cases. Between those books our journalists are working very hard on right now, The Ghost Rebellion and Operation Endgame. So look for us in July.
0: What about, you know, countless Hughes? We don't
1: want to... No, we don't want to talk about that one.
0: Right. The final season of Tales in the Archives?
1: dear... I have got rather used to these wonderful tales from all around the world. Don't worry, Wellington. There are plenty more stories to come, adventures to be had, and explosions to enjoy. So wish everyone a Happy New Year, and then let's go find some bubbly. Happy New Year, everyone. God save the Queen. Darling,
0: you weren't serious about the explosions. Were you?
2: THE CASE OF THE COPPER HEART BY BRIAN LINCOLN Mordecai Shrike turned his one good eye up towards Anastasia, the autonomous copper condor of his own design. He watched it glide and bank with the grace of any flesh-and-bone bird, let his pride swell as he took a calming breath and returned his attention to the wearing contraption strapped tightly to his right arm. It sputtered for a moment, But a good strike sent the extended round blade back to spinning. He stepped onto a wooden crate and stretched tall, reaching for the base of the small barred window to the prison cell containing Karen Oswald. Sparks flew as he began cutting. The bone saw was fitted with the strongest blade he owned, and that was enough to cut through rusted iron in scant moments. Fortunately, he had no intention of stealth. The commotion inside the jail was immediate and confused, and Mordecai heaved a length of rope into the window before anyone had time to discover him. Karen's face appeared, strained and red from slithering up
3: the rope. "'Lord, what's he at?' "'Busting you out, imbecile. What does it look like?' "'You're the a bag, Duck. What gives? We should shove that contraption
2: right up here. Sh- "'Do you want your freedom or not?' Mordecai hissed up the window. The man stopped arguing as he fought to pull the cut bars apart and squeeze through. Voices hollered for him to cease escape, but he was out before they managed to open the cell to detain him. He hit the ground in a heap, and Mordecai shoved him forward. Run, man! They'll be on you before you can blink! Mr. Oswald shook off his confusion and sprinted into the street. Mordecai turned to the adjacent building and climbed into an open window, an awkward movement with a greatly enhanced right arm. He watched the alley as men raced by, calling after their escapee. When he judged it to be clear, he unstrapped the bulky, steam-powered saw from himself, and climbed back out, walking to the front of the jailhouse and in through the front door, pulling his union blue overcoat tight with both hands. The main room was neat with desks, clean of all but teacups and newspapers. Dr. Shrike rummaged through the cabinets, but he knew almost immediately that nothing would be found. If the heart he sought was present, he would hear it ticking even through the ringing din that constantly accosted his war-damaged ears.
4: It isn't here,
2: Rosalind Kicklepenny said. Her gun leveled at him in a fashion that was becoming all too familiar. I gathered as much,
3: Mordecai said. Why did you take it? It is essential that you return it to me.
4: What is essential is that you stop causing death everywhere you go.
2: Her tone was level, authoritative.
3: He shook his head. I've killed no one. That was Mr. Oswald, as you well know. A tight smile formed on her lips.
4: And yet you've just freed him. While I appreciate that you saved my life, Doctor, you're an accomplice to a string of murders. How could you possibly justify helping the man who killed all those girls?
2: Mordecai slumped.
3: He'd been certain the heart would be here, logged as evidence. I freed him to serve as a distraction. He's the killer, as you say, easily recaptured. I needed room to work, as it were. Keep the hunt off me. Agent Kicklepenny adjusted the grip of her gun. Mordecai glanced
2: at her other, recently broken hand but did not allow his gaze to linger.
4: You could have done this the right way,
2: the agent said, her voice calm.
4: Your condor is a masterpiece, proof that you're worth backing. You know, it took me a while to thaw, and slightly longer for my wits to re-emerge, but I figured out your plan. It's obvious from the bodies Charon provided you with that you wish to take the next step to create a living human automaton.
3: Obvious, Mordecai asked, his voice soft. Hardly. I'm not simply building a living machine, as it were. I'm righting a wrong. Fixing things. You think me a monster because a dead person's leg or hand is on my shopping list? Well, let me tell you something about surgeons, Agent Kecklepenny. We know how cruel people are. In war, people designed bullets and ballistics, all crafted to maximize human damage. The result? Soldiers dragged themselves across entire states, only to be turned away from overrun hospitals because we lacked the surgeons to keep up with such cruel, efficient butchery. People like me had to saw off limbs from people who screamed and cursed through the pain, blaming us healers for their loss because they couldn't comprehend that we were saving them from the worst evil of gangrene. My position demanded countless hours, yet remained thankless. I had no choice but to numb myself to it all. My will to see good in humanity is long since destroyed. I have nothing to live for except that which you have taken from me today. "'so please give me the copper heart "'so that I may bring back something good, "'something beautiful.'
2: "'Agent Kicklepenny looked torn. "'He could read the sympathy in her pretty, "'almost familiar face. "'She was a tough woman, yes, "'but had she seen death on the scale that he had? "'He wondered what kinds of trials "'she might have experienced as a secret agent. "'Whatever they were,' They certainly left some kind of mark. She was no novice. Eyeing him with distrust, she swallowed.
4: I appreciate all that you have had to bear in order to help people. Many wartime surgeons have given their sanity in service to a greater good. But that is no excuse for trafficking pieces of murder victims faster than their deaths have even been logged. Every innocent deserves a right to justice. The body is sacred, and permission must be given for men like you to violate them, even for a good cause.
3: Mordecai shook with sudden rage. Violate? Me? Are you serious? I'm merely seeking the materials I need. No one cared about the piles of soldiers' limbs that stood taller than our amputation tables. Why are these bodies any different?
2: He laughed bitterly.
3: <laughs> Violate them. Listen to you, Agent. A dark-skinned woman in this age, you're worried about the dead when there's no justice for the living. I served in the war because mobs who hanged women like you were lauded as heroes.
4: The American Civil War was not just about race, Dr. Shrike.
3: Rosalind
2: said softly.
4: Blue or grey? Everyone chose a side for their own reasons. Race? Equality? Equality? These weren't everyone's reasons for serving.
2: They were for me, Mordecai screamed, shaking as he pointed skyward. As God is my witness, they were for me. And then the agent's soft fingers were on him, her broken hand offering a gesture of comfort, resting on his arm as her eyes pleaded for him to calm. Her gun hand lowered slightly. She was wary, but he sensed that she did not fear
3: him.
4: I believe you. Please, just calm down.
3: You remind me of her, you know, he said. And not just by how you look. She was so... alive, so perfect.
2: The agent leveled her gaze at him.
4: I'm sorry for... for whatever it is you've been through.
2: Dr. Shrike moved swiftly. A quick, regrettable squeeze of her broken hand caused her to yelp. In a blink, he was standing over her, pointing her own gun at her head.
4: Don't do this,
2: she said, her look sharp. His arm shook. His one good eye blinked rapidly.
3: Tell me where you put the heart. I've come too far to let her die now.
4: Who? Is there already another victim?
3: Get in the cell. When she
2: didn't budge, he waved the gun. Now! She moved.
3: Not that one, the other one. Without the outside bars cut.
2: He slammed the door and locked it. Where is it?
4: The others will be back at any moment,
2: Agent Kicklepenny said.
4: And you aren't going to shoot me.
2: Tell
3: me!
4: No.
2: Mordecai stared at her, dumbfounded. She wasn't going to help him. If the others returned, he would lose everything. He glared at her through the bars.
3: Her name is Philomena. I've kept her head in ice all these years, and today is the day I wake her up. Timing is everything. If I don't get the heart, I could lose her forever.
2: The agent said nothing. She only glanced at the clock on the wall. Dr. Shrike almost said more. Straining to hear several approaching voices over the constant ringing in his ears, he determined his time was up and ran from the jailhouse as fast as his legs could carry. Hours later, Dr. Shrike trudged wearily through the snow, listening for sounds of pursuit. Anastasia appeared overhead once more. Returning from her latest scout of the river, by her cries, he knew she had spotted something.
3: As I suspected,
2: he had been fairly certain of where Mr. Oswald would be heading. A material man, he would first go home to gather valuables, before trying to slip away and escape would be attempted downriver on the same boat he'd used when he delivered the requested body parts. Mordecai waved Anastasia down and rewarded her by unlatching her boiler and pouring sugar water inside. He closed the lid with shaking hands. Good girl, he said as he tried to calm his nerves.
3: You did it, didn't you? You led them to the river? Let us join them. I'm running out of time.
2: Mordecai hefted the agent's gun, checked the chamber, and began walking purposefully toward the river. He needed that heart. All of his hard work hung in the balance. He had the chemicals and materials for the final procedure. All his contraptions had been triple checked. The final body part he required, a woman's frozen arm, was on ice. He was ready. He just needed the heart. Once he had it, he would begin the procedure. He had already begun the slow thaw of Philomena's frozen head. There would be no going back. A gunshot from somewhere ahead told him the convergence had already begun. He followed the sound to the river's edge. It was Agent Kicklepenny firing a warning shot. She stood there, beautiful and dark, against the bright backdrop of snow, ice, and cold water. He listened for a steady, ticking sound but his hope that she would have the heart with her was not realized. She held an ostentatious weapon in her good hand as she stared intently at the two men at the water's edge. The gun's true owner, the tinkerer agent named Elliot Stoker Rowe, was being held at knife point by a clearly agitated Karen Oswald. The villain's boat was moored in sight well downriver. Agent Kicklepenny swung the point of her weapon Mordecai's way, then back towards Karen.
4: Let him go. You're under arrest,
2: she said with firm conviction. Yet shoot me. We see it in your eyes, lass, Karen said. Let me be. Is that surgeon you'll be wanting anyway. Maybe, she said.
4: But you killed those women. You tried to frame him
3: for it by making it look like his condor did it.
2: Oh, he was following orders. Liar, shouted Mordecai.
3: A liar till the end. I told you only what I sought. Recent dead. Kept cold immediately after life had ended. The river was the perfect coolant this time of year. You promised me you had access to fresh corpses. Legal means of obtaining the parts I needed.
2: Karen laughed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you wanted buy the book, you'd have done it yourself. You hired me to find a faster solution. Birds weren't dying fast enough in any natural way. Dr.
3: Shrike growled at the man. I told you. "'Nothing illegal.'
2: With a shrug, Karen said, "'Tis only illegal if you get caught. Why the sudden luck finding bodies? You never asked, ye?' Yeah? Elliot Stokerow, a row, knife at his throat, looked skyward.
3: "'Why
2: do you need the bodies?' he asked, his voice curious and calm for the situation. "'You made the condor
3: out of gears and metalwork. Something else, something I... Why do you feed it sugar?'
2: Mordecai could tell that Elliot was a wise sort. He was a bit surprised he hadn't already figured it all out. Mordecai smiled at him and nodded.
3: The metalwork, as you call it, serves as skeleton and musculature. The sensory system is biological. You're talking about nerves. That condor can feel pain, just like you or me.
2: Agent Kekkelpenny was right. It's the real thing. Elliot stared at him in wonder before looking back up at the sky.
3: Think about it, said Mordecai. Don't you see what I've done? What I can do? Such a construction requires the right materials. I need parts that are fresh. The slightest decay in a part becomes useless. Dead. Making a living woman out of those body parts? Monstrous!
2: You- (gasps) Elliot's complaint was cut short by the pressing of the knife. "'Shut it,' said Karen. "'I don't care if your man was baking pies with him. Drop your guns or your paddy dies.'
4: "'He dies? Then you die,'
2: said Agent Kicklepenny. A break in the clouds let the sun peek through, and the light reflected off the gun in Agent Kicklepenny's hands. Mordecai saw it, and he had no doubt Anastasia saw it as well. Dr. Shrike called out an alarm, but the copper condor was already in a dive within a split second. Luckily, Agent Kicklepenny's attention was on Karen, or she might have shot his prize creation out of reflex. Shh. Anastasia snatched at the brightly flashing gun with her Shh. talons, her weight knocking the agent to the ground. Oh! Mr. Stoker Rowe cried out in pain, and Karen Oswald began running for his life, arms flailing as he raced away. Dr. Shrike blinked slowly, taking in the red stain growing on the white shirt peeking out from Elliot's coat. He swung his aim to the fleeing Irishman and fired. A straight shot. The bullet collapsed him into a heap by the side of the river. Mordecai blinked his one eye, surprised and relieved that he had not missed. Stop! Mordecai yelled as Agent Kicklepenny made her way toward her partner. She held her hands up.
4: Please,
3: he needs help. Stop. Don't move. First, tell me where you put the Copper Heart. I must finish what I started. Tell me, and I will let you help him.
4: Dr. Shrike, please, let me look at him, and I promise to give it to you.
2: Tell me. Mr. Stoker Rowe let out a pained groan.
4: We have it under armed guard. I can get it for you. But if this man dies, I swear you'll never see it.
3: I. How can I know you'll bring it?
4: Help him right now, and I'll give you my word. You've spared me twice. You freed me from that monster's cage. You could have killed me now if you were in league with Mr. Oswald. You've proven yourself trustworthy, at least with regard to my life. Now let me prove it back. Help this man, and I will bring you the heart. Alone? Yes, alone.
3: Very well.
2: Dr. Shrike went to the wounded man and knelt over him. He pulled open his reddened shirt.
3: Looks deep. Agent
2: Kicklepenny said.
3: The location is the primary concern.
2: Dr. Shrike reached into his coat, pulling out a number of metal objects wrapped in cloth. He selected a long, fat needle.
4: Shouldn't you be closing the wound?
2: The agent asked. Trust me, Dr. Shrike said. And then he raised his arm high and drove the needle into Elliot's chest.
3: Hold this and pull the plunger back.
2: Agent Kicklepenny said nothing as she took the object in her hands. Her eyes danced in their sockets.
3: Be calm. You need to pull some of the air out. His lung has been punctured. Beyond that, he just needs proper bandaging. Mordecai stood.
2: Wait,
4: where are you going?
3: She asked, panic in her voice. I don't have any bandages here. You need to stay with him. Don't let go. Keep him from taking deep breaths. I will send someone with the proper supplies to bandage and move him.
4: Please hurry.
3: I will. Come to my home when he's safe. I'll show you what I've done. Then you'll understand everything.
2: Mordecai Shrike turned and made his swift way toward town. One gun in his hand, another in the grasp of the bird that followed him high above. He could go nowhere near the local authorities, of course, but an orphan would gladly accept a few coins to take an urgent letter to the local hospital. Dr. Shrike lifted the spyglass back to his good right eye. His home was quiet. Earlier that day, he'd stood in the same exact spot as he watched Special Agent Rosalind Kicklepenny turn off the light and close the front door before pre wrapped her dark skin into roadside shadow a heart-sized box tucked under one arm. He waited for a long while, thinking only of Philomena Finch, the slave girl the agent reminded him of so uncannily.
0: I love you, Maury,"
2: Philomena had said that cold morning as they walked the perimeter of Dover Lake, gloved fingers entwined as they crunched through the bright snow. Despite the stretch of years since that tragic day, he'd never lost the memory. Of her sweet voice. Agent Kicklepenny and Philomena Finch could have been sisters if one went solely by looks, the agent being the taller, thinner of the pair. He'd seen it immediately, even though he'd first met her across the barrel of her gun, accusation painted plainly on her pretty face. By the end of that day, he was pulling her from an ice cold river and saving her from certain hypothermia. Mordecai might have struggled with that choice for she had the potential to ruin everything. But he found that he had not. He saved her because he couldn't save Philomena.
4: Morty, I don't like the look of those men. We should turn around and go home.
2: If only he'd heeded those words. Mordecai had been a stubborn youth. His love crossed barriers of color, and his fearless pride over that distinction would be Philomena's downfall. Even as they were surrounded by ruffians, he puffed his chest and demanded free passage, Philomena's hand still firmly held in his own. He was struck from behind before he could raise his arm to defend himself. Then he'd found he was on his back, staring up at the bright morning sun as a frayed wooden club struck him and took his left eye. (laughs) If only Agent Kicklepenny knew his full story. He was certain she would be sympathetic to his cause. But how do you explain such loss, and all the discovery it inspired, when you are wrongfully accused of a string of murders? It was the condor, Anastasia, his first great achievement, who had brought the ministry agent to New Brighton. Of course, Anastasia was not the killer. She subsisted on his separate mixtures of syrup and oil, and had shown no interest in even her traditional prey. Why would a living, mechanical condor start killing young women? Surely common sense should have overruled fear from the beginning. Agent Kicklepenny would soon see what he was truly about. He would be happy to explain, but only on his own terms, and not in a jail cell. He needed to finish what he had begun years ago, on that horrible morning. Then the agent would finally understand.
3: Help me, Mordy. I don't want to die.
2: Philomena's last words haunted him, a persistent reminder of his failure to save her from the men who had taken his eye. No! No amount of screaming removed their hands as they held him down, cruel in their intent to make him bear witness. The men laughed at him, cursing him for unconscionable acts with a colored girl. They told him his love was an abomination, a curse upon both God and country. The noose they dropped down over her shoulders was not rope, but a mess of thin, sharp wire, cutting her dark skin as she tried to twist out from under it. But she could not escape. Help me, Morty! She cried, her voice a sheer terror. Without a word of warning, the wire was made taut and bit into her flesh. Her body hoisted swiftly into the tree. Morty! Her screams for his help were sporadic and choked, and cut out abruptly. No! Mordecai cursed the men through bloodied lips as Philomena's kicking legs plummeted to the ground, hitting the snow with a dull thud. A separated head spun and rolled down the hill, splashing into cold Dover Lake. Mordecai had not expected to be spared that day, and he often wished that he'd been hoisted up alongside his illicit lover. It would have been merciful had he not spent the next two decades struggling to realize the faintest, most painful hope that this horrid deed might be undone. The men took Philomena's headless body away. He presumed to be paraded through the streets of Richmond and left him beaten and exhausted in the blood and snow under that cursed tree. Exhausted and more than a little surprise that he was left alive, Mordecai swore revenge. He dragged himself to the lake's edge and slid into the almost frozen water, blinking blood from his good right eye, until he found where his lover's head had settled into the cold mud. As his fingers caressed her slack features, an idea came to him, emerging of his varied disciplines with little regard to his own temperature. A young Mordecai Shrike stood in waist-deep water as he devised a way to keep her head iced cold for the duration of his travels back to his laboratory. The modern version of that laboratory was now hidden in the attic of his home in New Brighton. After the agent had left that morning, Mordecai had slipped inside to confirm she had found and removed the ticking heart. Now that he was back once more, he had to hope and pray. That she would bring it back after he entered and removed his coat and hat, Anastasia appeared on an open window's trestle in living contrast to the multitude of bird skeletons hanging delicately on the walls of the large two-story room. A gesture of his finger had the clockwork bird crossing the large space to settle into the six-foot cage that hung from the ceiling. Mordecai climbed inside as well. The bird perched itself on the lone wooden bar hanging across two iron hooks and tilted its gear-strewn head at its creator as if waiting for a familiar routine to commence.
3: "'Yes, Anastasia, time to go up,'
2: said Mordecai, and the bird hopped to his shoulder, weighing him down. Mordecai twisted the bar until he heard a click and pulled. Gears whirred above and a round hole opened in the high ceiling, The cage lurched and rose up into his secret attic. They were greeted by a slight hiss of steam as his contraptions continued their steady work, pulling heat from a variety of chambers. Mordecai went to a shelf on the far wall and pulled down a small glass bottle. He pulled out the cork and motioned to the bird. Anastasia flew to her favorite perch and tilted her head back and forth. Mordecai ran a hand over the underside of her mechanical wings, inspecting the network of rejuvenated nerves. They were delicate and exposed, something he had aimed to improve in future creations. Content, Mordecai opened the hatch of her boiler and poured in the full contents of the bottle. The bird cried out as she always did upon feeding, and Mordecai closed her back up.
3: I'm almost finished, Anastasia. If this final limb proves a good specimen, Philomena will be as whole as I can hope to make her.
2: The bird closed its eyes as if to sleep. Mordecai rolled a heavy canister away from the wall, and then hefted it, pouring a thick substance into a large pot. It gave off a brief sizzle as it encountered the new metal. After pulling on heavy gloves, Mordecai opened the kettle packed with snow and removed the frozen arm. Karen's final delivery. He admired the length of the thin fingers and the indentations left by missing rings before dropping it into the pot. The muck immediately began to eat away at it, filling the area with the aroma of decay. It had cost the lives of many birds to build Anastasia. It wasn't until he started working with larger ones that he found success. But in the end, he'd managed to construct a living condor. Only then did he feel he could safely take the next step and return his lost love to the world of the living. Deep in his work, finding Karen Oswald had seemed a godsend. The man was willing to purchase and ferry bodies for nearly no cost. Early in their dealings, they constantly haggled. But later on, Karen was after scraps and prototypes from Mordecai's own laboratory, be they metal wings of previous designs, beaks, claws... Bits of gearwork or entire cages. Mordecai made no connection when local women began to disappear. Had he cared to investigate, he was certain he'd have noticed the deception. The woman's eyes were pecked out, and their wounds bore traces of copper in them. The ties back to him should have been obvious, but at the time he didn't even notice it. He had to admit that he'd barely given a thought to the local deaths. Too late. He discovered the threat of evidence pointed to his own avian creation, and then to him by association. He had dismissed it as absurd, too focused on his primary task. But it had been Karen all along. The Irishman had been killing women to meet his demand. Over time, he had learned a surgeon's precision, and was using Mordecai's own constructions to set up clues for the inevitable investigation deflecting guilt from himself and onto his employer it was well conceived dr shrike was no killer he would have never imagined such a fiendish plot all he cared about was philomena knowing his devices had led to a foul end for so many women made him harden his heart much as he had when those men took his eye and then took his love away from him he wished he could make it all right once more But for now all he could do was finish what he had started he had to focus on the end to do that he needed to trust agent kicklepenny mordecai shrike was so lost in his preparations that he was startled to hear agent kicklepenny's voice through the floor i'm here she called
3: alone as promised Climb into the cage and give the perch a good twist,
2: he called down, hoping she could hear him clearly. The arm was almost dissolved, and Mordecai had strapped the limp form of the mechanical woman to a metal cross so it could complete thawing while upright. Philomena's face was a frozen mask, her dark cheeks sunken and slack. The surgeon was afraid to contemplate how long after thawing before the gathered parts would begin dying on him. If he didn't bring her to life quickly, much would be undone. He almost didn't notice the floor open up to admit the cage. And it was only at the last moment that he thought to pick up the pair of guns in case Agent Kicklepenny decided to attempt arrest. rest. But before he could choose which one he should point at her, he noticed the slow, heavy ticking of the copper heart. He waited while she stared at the bound form of the woman, a head affixed to a nest of nerves and wires, stretched over a marionette of copper limbs. I have it, Agent Kicklepenny said at
3: last, her voice hard.
4: You said you would explain?
3: I said I would show you. First, the final arm is ready to be harvested.
2: The surgeon tucked the guns into the back of his trousers and motioned the agent to the other side of his workbench. After rolling up his sleeves... He picked up a pair of metal tongs and dipped them into the sludge. With slow consideration, he lifted out the skeletal arm, which was held tenuously together by what looked like an almost invisible film. Placing it on the table, Mordecai smiled.
3: You see, the human body is a kind of machine. The wonder of it lies not in the muscle or the bone. Those can be replaced with simple metallic parts but in the brain and the nerves. Therein we find the essence of life. Those many connections make us who we are. It's difficult to assemble even from biological origins. It took me years to learn how to dissolve away all but the nerves. That's why I need parts from the recently dead. Once they begin to rot, they're unusable. I wish there was a cleaner way, but this is all I've got.
2: Carefully. Mordecai peeled the web-like layer away from the bone.
3: This is what your friend Mr. Stoker-Rowe found on Anastasia upon closer inspection. Nerves. In the bird's case, they're exposed and require regular attention. I've found a solution to that for Philomena here.
2: He went to the mounted metal figure built below Philomena's inert head and slid the nest of nerves over her left arm like they were a matching glove. Then he presented a heavy brush and began to paint the nerves into place with a thick yellow paste. This
3: will dry on almost like skin. He paused. I'll take the heart now.
4: Are you sure you want to do this?
3: She asked as she handed it over.
4: Whatever you make here. It isn't Philomena anymore.
3: Oh, I think it will be. Of course, there's only one way to know for certain.
2: And with that statement, Mordecai Shrike pressed the heart into its proper place, twisted it into a locked position, and stepped back to admire his life's work. Nothing happened.
3: She should come right to life. It was always that way with the birds.
2: He said, expectation turning to panic in his voice.
4: Dr. Shrike, I'm so sorry.
2: Agent Gicklepenny said.
4: Truly, I am. But as noble as your cause is in your mind, you cannot ignore that this experiment cost several girls their lives. Each of them had dreams, just like Philomena. Each of them had family, friends. How would harming so many bring goodness back, as you claimed?
3: I told you I didn't know anyone was being harmed.
4: You set up a demand for pieces of dead girls and then looked the other way.
3: So what? I'm not the police. Maybe people like you should have been out there protecting them. I just needed a material. People die. People are very good at dying. I've spent most of my life saving men from other men's cruelty. I could build back Philomena out of a thousand dead girls. And I'd still have helped more people than I've harmed in my lifetime.
2: Mm -hmm. The mechanical woman moaned. A deep sorrow that washed over
3: Mordecai. He
2: stumbled forward.
3: She's alive. Oh, oh, my love. How do you feel? Do you remember me? Is it really you?
2: Philomena blinked, her eyes finding focus and searching, moving to Agent Kicklepenny, then the condor, the workbench, and finally the skeletal arm. She pulled against her restraints.
3: Careful, my love, don't hurt yourself,
2: pleaded Mordecai. She looked at him with narrow eyes. Her mouth hung limp, a sliver of drool hanging down. Her limbs bucked and one arm came free. Get back, said the agent.
4: She looks strong. She could be very dangerous.
2: I don't care, said Mordecai. But the woman pushed away his advance. Her hand pressing him back, she tried to speak. Only another moan was emitted. She locked eyes with Dr. Shrike. Slowly, she shook her head.
3: I did it for you,
2: he said, tears welling.
3: I'm nothing without you.
2: Another deep moan, almost a groan of metal, and her grip tightened before she released Mordecai. He fell to his knees and threw his arms around her waist. Finally,
3: I have you back. The world can be beautiful again.
2: Philomena Finch brought her hand to her heart and closed her eyes. Fingers wrapped around the ticking contraption. Her chest heaved. And then her metal, nerve-wrapped fingers strained and collapsed into a fist. The copper heart crushed beneath them, spraying steam and oil. Their bodies sagged and went still. (laughs) Mordecai caught her, but her weight took them both to the floor. He rolled her onto her back and wailed with sorrow. No! Then he realized, too late, that he'd forgotten all about the guns he'd been holding. He reached to the back of his trousers to find them gone. Agent Kicklepenny held one of them in her good hand. The other was tucked in her belt.
3: Please, he said,
2: as he sought for a blade of some kind.
3: Uh, I have to try again. I have to remove her head and freeze it before there's significant brain damage.
4: No, Dr. Shrike. You will not.
3: The agent sounded sad. Do you think I'm afraid of being shot? I'm nothing without her.
4: She made her choice.
2: No, he shouted. He found a short blade and crawled back to his love.
3: She must have been confused. If I can just talk to her, she'll know what I've done. We can be happy again. Dr.
4: Shrike, I saw the look on her face. She
3: heard you. She
4: understood exactly what you've done and what you were willing to do, and she was horrified by it.
2: Mordecai began cutting into the base of Philomena's neck, careful to keep from damaging as much of her original remains as you could manage. Stop. He'd been so focused on his final phase, so certain it was now or never. He'd failed to consider what he would do in such a desperate moment. Could he freeze her again? Was she already lost forever? He needed ice. He'd have to go outside and gather snow. Anastasia! He called and made his way for the cage. Agent Kicklepenny had to jump away from the swooping bird, but she recovered and caught the closing cage door.
4: Good. We'll
2: go outside. Together. Mordecai shrugged and let her in. How could she stop him? Kill him? So be it. He didn't think she would. The floor opened and the crowded cage lowered him from the main room of his house. Before it settled to the floor, armed men stormed into the room.
3: You said you would come alone. Dr. Shrike
2: said, blinking in disbelief. You betrayed me!
4: I did come alone, she said. Then you showed me what you've done, as was agreed. Our barter concluded. You're now under arrest for murder.
3: For, for what? I didn't kill any of those women.
4: For the murder of Caron Oswald.
3: What? No. He killed those girls and tried to frame me for it. He just stabbed your friend and was trying to escape. He deserved it. You'd have shot him yourself if you were the only one with a gun when he ran.
4: Maybe, but I have the authority to do so. You, dear surgeon, do not.
3: Men
2: pulled open the cage door and grabbed him by his shoulders.
3: She's dying up there. Don't do this.
2: Anastasia screeched in terror and fled the cage in a rush of metal wings. Shots filled the room like cannon fire and a bird screeched crashing into the wall, bird bones scattering everywhere. Sparks flew under the barrage and she gave a final cry as her wings stuttered and went still. Mordecai tried to run, but was pulled to the ground by several men. It was like that day under the tree all over again. Oh, Anastasia? He cried. He turned to Rosalind. You killed my bird. My beautiful bird. Agent Kicklepenny was checking it for any sign of life. I'm sorry, she said at last. Mordecai struggled against the men.
3: I saved your life! Why have you done this to me?
4: You left me no
2: choice, she said.
4: Take him away.
2: Dr. Shrike screamed as he was pushed and shoved out of his own home.
3: I will fix this, he shouted back at the house. I'll fix you. You can put me away as long as you want. I'll never forgive this. I will not.
2: As he was led away, the only thing he could think of was Philomena, slowly shaking her head at him. A disappointment clear in her beautiful, awakened eyes.
3: It was her. It had been her. He had almost succeeded.
2: Mordecai Shrike looked down at his hands as he was marched down the street. He had failed. His lone eye fell on the ring that he wore on his middle finger. The signet! A bird on a silver field was more than a symbol from those who had supported his work. It was a reminder that he owed them back. It was also something else, something he hoped he would never need. Dr. Shrike twisted the face of the ring. The faint click told him that the call for aid had been sent to the house of Usher.
0: Brian Lincoln is a physicist who discovered a love for audio production in 2009. Self-taught since then, Brian has produced numerous short stories with a full cast and has developed as a narrator and voice actor in his own
1: right. Between various podcasts, collaborations, and contributions, Brian has experience in single-reader audiobooks, full-cast audio stories, audio dramas, and podcast productions. Find out more about Brian and his productions at lincolnaudio.com
0: Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com
1: For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, visit ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com to order The Diamond Conspiracy, now available everywhere in your favorite bookstores and online in print, digital, and audio.
0: This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, sharealike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives.
1: And imagine that studio's Ace Books production.
0: I'm T. Morris.
1: And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank, Thank you, you for listening. listening.